0: Let us now stand as we come for the reading of God's Word from uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. We continue in our time in this portion of Paul's letter. Again, we'll be reading verses 8 through 15 uh, this morning. Again, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, beginning at uh, verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, So there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks again uh, for the word that you have provided for us this day. And to God we pray uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would apply these words under our hearts. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we began this series last week, you know, we talked about the example of the Macedonian Christians. You know, we had talked about how the church at Thessalonica was an example that others should follow. And one of the things about their example that Paul highlighted at the beginning of this chapter Is uh, that they were in deep poverty. Now, what he means here is not just that they were in physical, material poverty. One of the things uh, that set the Macedonian church apart was the fact uh, that they were uh, once spiritually poor, that they were once without the gospel of peace. Just as the people at Corinth had been. But now, what had changed for the Thessalonican Christians? What had changed is the uh, liberality of their witness which had come through the richness of the gift of Jesus Christ. Of the fullness, of the grace, of the sufficiency, of that mercy and of that glory which had been bestowed upon them. And Paul, as he's witnessing uh, to the people at Corinth, is saying, Hey, you have received this gift as well. You, likewise, had the gospel proclaimed to you with power, with authority, and with the whole counsel of God... Being presented. And how does Paul know this? How does Paul know that Corinth has received these things? Well, you know, unlike you know, some churches, Paul spent quite a lot of time at Corinth. He knew these people in a way that he didn't know, for instance, you know, saints in Rome or saints elsewhere. He knew what they faced from day to day. He knew what their material life was like. He knew what their spiritual life was like. And that's one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul is so hard on the Corinthian church. Because he knows that they know better. And he's also seen it with his eyes that they know better. And that's one of the things that Paul, uh, in, in opening this passage, does in speaking of his uh, not speaking to them by commandment. Now, his purpose there is to make it clear that he doesn't want them serving others because they have to. Again, he's not desiring to place a guilt trip on the Corinthian church. Because again, you know, especially those of you who uh, have uh, served in uh, your, uh, you know, your, lay- your work in kind of a managerial role can testify that if people have to do things, they usually don't do them well. And if you have to kind of beat them into doing it, they're especially not going to do it well. And they're certainly not going to do it with any kind of excitement. And again, that's what Paul is trying to prevent in what he says there in verse uh, verse 8. And he's telling them, look, fellas, look, ladies in Corinth, I am not shaming you into obedience to the call that you have. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that you should be doing these things because of who you are in Jesus Christ. This should be a natural outgrowth of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he says there again, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. He's saying again once more, Corinthian church, look at the Macedonians. What are they doing? They are diligent in their obedience to the law of God. Even more so, they've been diligent in providing for the needs of the Jerusalem Christians. Because remember, that's what the background of this whole passage is. The the background of this whole passage is 1 Corinthians 16. Remember there, in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul had, had asked the Corinthian church to take up an offering every week on the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week, when they gathered together for worship. And that he was going to either come himself or someone was going to come or someone was to be provided and then they were to take that offering to Jerusalem. But from what we read here in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, there must have been a lot of giving those first couple three Sundays. And what do you think happened? Well, they gave 500 drachmas the first Sunday. 400 drachmas the second Sunday and then by the second month it was really nothing. You know, that has been the problem at Corinth. And that's not just been a problem with their giving. That's been a problem with their entire Christian lives. You know that They are kind of like that seed you know, that Jesus describes in a parable of the sower which you know, sprang up quickly and was soon strangled by the thorns and the concerns of this world. You know, they, they, they were very excited at the beginning to go and to do these labors, to, to gather money for their Jerusalem brothers and sisters. But uh, we see here, as he says there in verse 11, but now you must also complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. You see, Paul here again is concerned uh, that they not burn themselves out in the first two weeks of giving, but that they understand again that this labor of service unto their Jerusalem brothers and sisters as well as their service to one another, and of course most importantly that service that they give to the Lord Jesus Christ be done uh, with a foundation in the purpose of all of this work. Because you see, that's more than likely why the Corinthian church got burned out so quickly. Why uh, they were so eager to do this work at the beginning, but fell into uh, forgetfulness and uh, not really doing anything. Because the the power, the strength of their service work was coming out of the hands of of their own heart. It was coming out of the strength of their own body. You know, I know most of us here are not marathon runners. Uh, and if you've ever tried to run a marathon, I'm sure that if we went out front right now and tried to run 26 miles to you know, somewhere north of Shelby, you know, how many of us would make it to Battleground Road? Maybe a few of us would make it to Battleground Road. Uh, some of us might make it to the other side of the cemetery. And why would we not be able to do that? Well, it's because we have not been training to run a marathon. You we're know, we're not prepared to do that kind of thing. We're not. We we've not been made ready to do that kind of thing. You know, especially you know some of us had big breakfast this morning. You know, and if if you've ever tried to run after you've eaten a big meal, well, again, that's not a recipe for success. Right. if you, you know when I was in the Marines I, I would work the Marine Corps Marathon every year you know, I wouldn't run Marine Corps Marathon, but I would work the marathon and I always remember the the people there they you know they, they were praying around you know, they would eat these protein bars and drink these protein shakes and stuff and the purpose there was again to prepare their body for what they were getting ready to do and again the problem in Corinth, is that they were not preparing for the labors that God had given for them to do. They were were just going at it. They were just going right into it. And they were very quickly, as I said, burned out from that work. Whereas, remember what Paul had commended the Thessalonican church about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You know, He had commended them because they were regularly in prayer. They were regularly gathering together for worship. They were regularly studying the Scriptures together. They were regularly in one another's homes. You know, there was this this building up, this preparatory work that was going on daily in the lives of the Thessalonica church. And so why were they able to be diligent in the support of the Jerusalem saints? Because again, they had been prepared for that work. And again, the preparation was not, again, rocket science. You know, It's not as if they went uh, to you know, uh, went to Planet Fitness or something like that and, and signed up for a class and then went through all of the difficulties of that labor. You know, They didn't have to do that. They use the already available means of God's grace to prepare themselves for this lifelong work of service to the church, to the service of Christ, and the service of uh, their neighbors and all those around them. That's one of the reasons why Israel, of course, is always getting in trouble. Because they do not take advantage of the already existing ways that God has given to them to accomplish these works. One of the things that that you discover pretty quickly as you read through the book of Joshua and you get into the book of Judges is that you see that Israel was not following the law. And it's not like you know, they were speeding from you know, Nazareth uh, to Jerusalem every day. They were not obeying the ceremonial laws that God had laid forward. In fact, it's doubtful that the year of the Jubilee, for example, was ever actually followed in Israel. And so why was there a no king in Israel? Why did everyone do what was right in their own eyes? Because they had not paid attention to the basic foundational ways that God had given to them in order that they might be prepared to withstand not only the external enemies that they had. Because again, the real problem that the Israelites had was not the Ammonites. It wasn't the Perizzites. It wasn't the Jebusites. It wasn't the Philistines. The real problem the Israelites had was in here. The real problem Israel had was in their own hearts. And so when they did not give attention uh, to the old man, uh, the attention to uh, the uh, growth of sin in their hearts, why should it be surprising to us that they eventually started throwing their children into the fires of Molech? Because they did not again prepare to fight against the old man. And it's something that each one of us has to kind of take stock of as we walk in our Christian life. Is a part of serving one another is first of all, a loving yourself. You ever think about that in the second great commandment? You know, what, what are we supposed to do? Love your neighbor as you love yourself? Well, that's kind of a necessary part of that equation, right? Is loving yourself. And Jesus there is not meaning that we are to kind of put ourselves first. You know, selfishly take care of our needs before we take care of the needs of others. But what does it mean to love yourself? Well, first of all, it means knowing yourself. Again, when, when, when you go to the doctor and, uh, you know, and, and the doctor does his tests on you and he tells you, well, you need to start taking this blood pressure medication, and you don't take the blood pressure medication, what happens? Right? Problems come to your blood pressure. Because you didn't listen to the doctor. Because you didn't pay attention to what your body was telling the doctor. We can think of that in the case of your own spiritual lives. And Why do we struggle against sin? Why do, does the old man continually win in these battles? Why do we let the old man win? Because we haven't taken the time to know ourselves. We haven't taken the time to know your enemy. You need to know that person that you're fighting against. what is What are, are those particular sins that you're struggling with? Well, again, you have to, first of all, recognize that there's sin. And second of all, you have to be willing to fight that battle. You have to be willing to put aside the idolatries of your life, especially those ones that are natural to your heart, again, if you want to actually serve others. Because again, that's the source of all the troubles, the source of all the trials, the source of all of our anxieties is that old man within us. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to us that this is the case. In Luke chapter 6, He says, "...for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns." nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Again, this is again part and parcel of what it means when Jesus Christ speaks about putting to death the old man. When He means, when He talks to the Pharisees, that it's not what uh, goes into you that defiles you, it's what comes out of you that defiles you. And again, that's why, again, in that second great commandment, it's so important for us to love yourself. Again, we have to love ourselves enough to put to death sin. We have to love ourselves enough uh, to know those sins that we fight against to bring them before the Lord for mortification, to to go to His Word, to go in prayer, asking the Lord not only to forgive us of those sins, but to drive those sins away. But of course the reality is, is that for many of us, we love those sins too much. And we love what those sins do for us. And that's very true in the church at Corinth. Why was it that they were unwilling to discipline the man who was sleeping with his mother-in-law? Because they valued peace over purity. They valued uh, everyone kind of getting along rather than uh, dealing with the gross sexual morality that was going on in that place. And so the church at Corinth fails in its service to the Jerusalem saints because it's first of all failed to service itself. It's failed uh, to take a look, an honest look at itself. See where, 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 where sin needs uh, destroyed, where sin needs removed. And it's failed to take advantage of, again, the ordinary means by which Christ grows His church. Again, that's what Thessalonica had done. They'd have engaged in these labors. And that's why, again, they were able to stay steadfast in the call, in the service uh, to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, Paul here, again, is driving home this point, again, not to shame the people at Corinth. And that's why, in verse 9, he goes where he goes. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. that though he was poor... Or though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And Paul, when he writes to the church at Philippi, you know, speaks of, uh, of this uh, in a similar way. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men." And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And we are reminded in this passage that the Lord Jesus Christ again came to die for our sins, to give us His righteousness, not because He had to, not because in the divine counsel the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost were saying, well, somebody has to fix this problem. Somebody has to go deal with these people. No, because the Lord Jesus Christ voluntarily gave of Himself that we may be reconciled with the Father. That we may be washed by His blood which He poured out on the cross for our sins. Again, that language there in verse 8 is so important again. He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death. Again, the witness of that is to be for us, again, that example through which we are to follow in our service of others. And that we're not to serve others because somebody has to do it. Or because uh, there's a sign-up sheet, or because uh, there's something uh, mailed out, or because uh, of these kinds of things. Again, the heart of Christian service, as we talked about last week, is its response to what Christ has done for us. Again, why are we to love one another? Why are we to love one another in this sense? Why? Because God first has loved us. Why are we, again, to meet the material needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, first of all, because God has met our needs. And that's what Paul says here to the Corinthian church. And it's interesting how Paul goes back to Exodus chapter 16, verse 18, to make this point. He says there in verse 15, as it is written, He who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And Paul here is doing something important for us. When we go back unto the Old Testament, and we read uh, those laws in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that they each have a principle upon which we are to follow. Now of course the ceremonial laws having passed away, you know, we no longer take uh, our offerings to Jerusalem, we don't sacrifice the firstborn of the flock, you know, we don't do those things because they've been fulfilled in Christ. But that doesn't mean that we can't learn something uh, from the principles of those laws. And that's what Paul is doing here. And he's saying, remember what God has said. He who had gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. In this mutual uh, taking care of one another, understanding that God provides for the needs of His people. And of course we've seen this uh, in, uh, in, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, after the great uh, conversions in, in, uh, of Peter's uh, preaching at the Pentecost, you know, we have these verses which tell us, "...now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity, of heart, again, as we said, when we went through this passage a few months ago. You know, it's not as if the early church practiced communism. That's not what this passage is teaching. What it's showing, again, as it says in those last few words there in verse forty-six, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. What does that mean to eat with gladness and simplicity of heart? Well. You know, I'm sure this is true for, for, for all of us, but you know, before we eat as a family, you know, we say grace. You know, when when the, the food is present at the table, we lift it up and we give thanks to the Lord for His provision. And why do we do that? Why do we say grace? I'm sure there's a lot of you know, young people here who are wondering that. Why do we go through this before we can eat? And we do that not because we have to, Not because that's the only proper way to start a meal. But because we understand that the food that we have has been given to us by God's grace. We have that because God has blessed us. Because God has watched over us. God has provided for us. And that's why we again begin the works we do as a church with prayer. Not just because that's what religious people do. Right? Well, of course you're supposed to pray before you do things. That's just kind of you know the, 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 the way things are done. The way things have always been done. But why do we pray before we do work? Because we understand not only is it being done for the glory of God, but that God has given it to us to accomplish for the betterment of His people. Because we understand that God, again, is the One who is not only guiding that work, but it's God who is the foundation of that work. And so brothers and sisters, as we you know, consider various opportunities for ministry here at Bethany, and that's one of the most important things that we have to do as a church body. Is we have to understand why it is we are doing these works. We're not doing these things because we have to. We're not doing these things because we're supposed to. Well, you know, we're Christians. We're supposed to go help people. And that's not, again, our motivation. It shouldn't be our motivation. There's lots of atheists out there who do a lot of good things. There are a lot of atheists who, who, who go into communities and give them uh, all kinds of goodies, who, who go to uh, foreign nations and provide uh, medical care and, and do all these things. You know, again, that's, that, that's not why we do these things, so that people have stuff. You you think of what the Apostle Peter said to the layman there in the book of Acts. And he told him, he said, I, you know, silver and gold I don't have. What did Peter have? What did Peter have that that UNICEF doesn't have? That, you know, Doctors Without Borders doesn't have? What, what, What did Peter have and what do people really need? Peter had the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. People, Peter had the good news of salvation for the lost. Peter had the foundation for all reality and he presented it with boldness and with truth. And why was Peter able to do this? Why was Peter able to to speak in tongues? Why was Peter able to do all these things? It's not because he was an apostle. It's not because he was chosen by Jesus. Because there was a certain other man who was chosen by Jesus to do the work of the church. What enabled Peter to go out into the world to proclaim Christ and crucify? What's the same thing that enabled the Thessalonican church to be who they were? It's because the Lord Jesus Christ humbled Himself, came in the likeness of men, died on the cross at Calvary so that we would be, again, not only cleansed from our sin, but that we would receive His righteousness And we would no longer be that old man. We would be that new man in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, uh, Israel, when we look back and we see their failings, we see their weaknesses, what enabled the faithful remnant of Israel to continue on in the midst of the wickedness that surrounded them? Is it because they were more obedient to the law? Was it because they just happened to be at the right place at the right time? Again, we we went through Daniel in Sabbath school there for several months, and, and, and Daniel is very clear what the foundation of his work is. That the Lord, his God, had provided everything that he needed. But most importantly, what God had provided for Daniel, what God provided even for Nebuchadnezzar, was that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Was that understanding, that knowledge, that He was not His own. That He did not belong to Himself. But that He belonged body and soul unto the Lord Jesus. Who had won that victory over death. Who had won that victory over sin. And who had given to Him the name which is above every name. And as Peter is proclaiming the gospel of peace, you can rest assured what's in his brain is his remembrance that he did not deserve any of this. Peter, the one who had denied Jesus three times, Peter, the one who had spoke blasphemy to the Lord's face, was where he was by the very grace of the Lord our God, of the gift that he had received. And for the Corinthian church, they needed to be reminded of this, that to be diligent in the service to the church is grounded in this gift. It's grounded in using the means that God has given to us to encourage us, to strengthen us, to build us up in faith. And to not take for granted how glorious uh, this opportunity is to go out unto the world. To declare unto them that hope that passes on. All understanding. That knowledge which is above everything. And So brothers and sisters, let us go forth in this place this morning. Again, resting in the truth of the Gospel. In the reality of God's grace for us. In the understanding that we do this work not because we have to, not because it's needed, but because God has done that work in us. And He has called us to go out unto the naked, unto the poor, and especially the lost, and to share this wonderful truth, this blessed reality, through which no man will see heaven itself. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks again.